sobriety check here because uh, I felt BC wasn't worth the drunk cast. Are you? No. Are you? Are you hammered? No, absolutely <laughs> not. I I drank like all day yesterday, most of the day before that. Um, I this is this beer that I just opened right now will be the first thing I've drank that's alcoholic at all today. Oh, okay, nice. Yeah, I got a rum and coke next to me, so if if I get drunk in the second half, it'll be a, a perfect allegory to the game. Since we are Hello and welcome to a victory edition of the HLS Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Ritter, and you can call me ND Tex. You can find us over at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Podbean, and as always, you can find us over at our home at HerLittleSons.com. Folks, also make sure you feel free to join us in our live chat channel via Discord. You can find the link in the menu of HLS or hit us up on Twitter. We'll be happy to give you a link. That being said, I'd like to welcome Shane to the show. Shane, how you doing? I'm good, man. Victories are victories. You take them how they come, especially when they're, you know, 500 yards deep. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm feeling fine, man. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad at all myself. Um, we are not drunk for this one. Um, nope. it, this is Boston College, after all. Not really sure uh, Boston College. It reminds me of um, back Boston College was undefeated in basketball. Notre Dame beat them when I was a student. Uh, like half of the student body rushed the court. I was a part of the half that didn't because I was like, nah, not worth it. Boston College, F it. No, yeah. fuck them. Not yeah. doing it. So yeah, not not doing the drunk cast either. However, I do have a, a beverage next to me. So if you know by halftime the uh, the tone changes a little bit, if you will, it's it's a tale of two halves in the podcast. Um, yeah, you know it may happen. But hey, so much for adult week this week. Yo. Everything happened. Every, <laughs> everything happened, and a bunch of shit that you didn't even know happened happened. It was awesome. Yes, uh, there was even one, uh, and we'll get to all this. I even told Shane, I was like, I, I completely missed this, and he's like, the, I, I'm reading it for the first time on the outline. <laughs> I, I mean, that, that's the way this week was. There are no dull weeks in college football. There is only not paying close enough attention. We will get to all of that, but first... It's officially Sparty Week, and Shane, if, I mean, we got a lot of people heading over there, I hope, I hope they're doing a UGA-style invasion out in East Lansing. Uh, What will all of these people need besides a ticket? They will need to have their shit together when it comes to parking. They will indeed. So if you are trying to stage this little invasion over at East Lansing, head over to parkandparty.com. That is park, the letter N, party.com. Folks, they've been doing this for over seven years. I can attest to it myself. I used it. It's a pretty simple process. Buy your spot, check your vehicle in, and you have a guaranteed spot in a monitored lot. It's ready. It's waiting for you, even if you are in enemy ter- territory. 
Now, say you want to also plan a huge tailgate or maybe a corporate event if you're going to be that fancy, Park and Party can help with that as well. They sell out quite often. Make sure to book your spot as soon as possible. And hey, maybe get a jump on uh, Miami, Ohio for the next home game. And you can park at uh, you know as close as Eddie Commons. You can reserve that spot right now. Have everything well planned out. So head over to parkandparty.com. That is park, the letter N, party.com because parking shouldn't be the main main event and shane let's uh i mean gosh there's so many places to start it was the hardest part of writing this outline was figuring out where to start so i figured we were going to start over in the west coast because i think the best game of the night happened there uh and, and maybe maybe best is a little uh maybe most surprising I, i'd say the biggest surprise of the week as far that this game was competitive and that is Southern Cal barely squeaking a victory over Texas in double overtime. A game I was convinced was going to be a laugher was anything but. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's fair. It, it, it may not have been like the best game, but it was certainly the main event. Um, it was billed as the main event. I mean, ESPN put out promos talking about how this is worse than a rivalry, blah, 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 blah. Um, and of course, that's all because of the 2006 National Championship game, et cetera, et cetera. But I was with you. It's like, well, I mean, it, Texas didn't really give us anything to look forward to, in my opinion. And USC seemed to have established themselves as both a, a, a prolific passing and running offense. So it was kind of, it had the makings of a blowout. I'm pretty sure I predicted that it was going to be not even close. And lo and behold, a double overtime win for USC against what felt like a middling Texas team. Yeah, it was a, a, a squeaker, like I said, twenty-seven to twenty-four. And remember, this was a, a game, a, a team on Texas's end that lost to Maryland and didn't just lose to Maryland. Maryland lost to them very handedly at that. I mean, Maryland dominated them. So yeah, I was expecting. I was like, USC's got a good pass rush. They got a great defense. Hey, they just dominated Stanford, and we'll get to them in just a little bit. So it was very shocking to watch it, and and I even said on the podcast with Eddie, I would take SC minus anything at this point uh, because mm-hmm. I had zero faith in Texas. Uh, but Tom Herman had his boys ready to play. This is, however, the first time as a head coach he's lost to a ranked opponent, and it was really weird because in the first overtime, you know, Texas went on defense first. Southern Cal scores, you know, gets gets their seven. So Texas scores and why they decided I'm on the road, huge underdog. Why are you not going for two? Yeah. Right. I mean, at that point you're already way beyond where anybody expected you to be, right? You're on the road. It's a top five team. You had no business going into overtime. You went on defense for a reason, right? To see what you had to do to win the game. Yeah. It just feels like this is one of those things where, you look at a head coach who's maybe in a position to try to, I don't know, take the safest route. Um, but at the same time, once you're in that spot, you have the you have the upper hand. Like, that's the only advantage you're going to have in that situation. They scored first. You know what you had to do. You scored again. And all you had to do was go for two and try to put it away. Um, I feel like that's a huge missed opportunity. It it really was playing not to lose will often, I swear, end up putting you in the lost column. I I, I swear it's almost like a fact of life, especially in football. Uh, But yeah, and and immediately after that, Texas gets the ball, obviously to start the second overtime. 
and they cough the thing up immediately. And yep. it was a, a strip sack. So now SC, all they have to do is kick a field goal. They do it. A lot was made of their walk-on kicker, uh, who had a, a lot of accolades, to say the least. He just it Walk-on there is kind of odd because probably could have played at a lot of different places, but just felt like he wanted to go play for the Trojans without a scholarship. And, mm-hmm. hey, he was the man of the hour. They put it in. And Sam Darnold in this game, I mean, he had some ridiculous throws, especially in the clutch. Uh, most, most specifically, the one that stands out in my mind, where he channeled Tebow, uh, and it was a, it was going to be, if I remember correctly, a fourth down conversion attempt. And Texas mm-hmm. is crashing down on Southern Cal, crashing down on Darnold. He steps up into the pocket, jumps up, throws this little float or prayer, goes right over the defender, right into the hands of a receiver, first down, and Southern Cal ends up scoring. Uh, the field goal on there descended into overtime, and that's another part of his here. Texas scores. There's about forty some odd seconds left, and they can't hold Southern Cal to point. Yeah, to, to nothing. I mean, there's so many. It, it was one of those things where I looked at this and like, damn, I watched this last season, like over exactly. and over. Exactly, it's what exactly. this movie looks like. <laughs> yes, Texas understands the Notre Dame life. Um, yeah, it, it was one of those things where, like, yes, okay, so so USC did the thing to get to overtime which is, I think, a, a fair enough testament to what Sam Darnold is capable of. But, I mean, that there were moments where things seemed like, oh, okay, this is, this is what USC would be expected to do. But it was always shadowed by the fact that they were in position to have to do it, to me. Um, there, there's this prevailing sense that USC is still USC, but something tells me that eventually this season... Something will give. Yes, it was not Stanford. They they worked Stanford, and 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 perhaps Stanford isn't quite what we thought they were, uh, and we'll get to that. <laughs> but um, still, something about USC seems not complete. Like like at, at one point or another, there will be a moment where they get exposed by the right uh, opposing coaching staff, uh, because Sam Donald can't be expected to do it all. I mean, I feel like that much is apparent so far. Um, so I don't know. I don't really know what this game leaves me in terms of thinking about USC as a team, but something tells me that that team has some vulnerabilities that you know in in due time or really throughout the season will 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 get exposed. I'll tell you what. At this point, I'm hoping the first time it shows up is somewhere in the middle of October in South Bend. Yep, it's kind of yep, what right I'm looking for. Notre Dame's bye week. Yep, exactly because that the target is square on Southern Cal's back right now. That like you said. There, there seem to be holes, so now it's, okay, can anybody actually expose it? And Notre Dame, we're, we're still looking for that big win, and if Southern Cal can cobble it together, they can somehow come into South Bend undefeated. It would still qualify despite the fact that, yes, they look a little weak, but they continue to pull it out over and over again. I get the sense that that would be perhaps a much more significant win than had they beaten Georgia. Yes, you know? yes, I mean, exactly. Pretty- Pretty inarguably. Yes, and, and I think, uh, I don't know if you can hear, I think Gulliver's joining the podcast today. <laughs> I can definitely hear Gulliver. <laughs> Trying to make a pick early. Yeah, exactly. He's like, wait, there, there's treats? I hear you talking football. Where are the treats at? See, I really need to get a door on the other end of my office. <laughs> so, so <laughs> bad. Anyway, let's talk about Stanford. Now, now Stanford mm-hmm. is undefeated. In Australia now, if you go to American, oh, okay. if you go to American soil, they haven't won a game yet, and they lost to uh, San Diego State twenty to seventeen. Now, San Diego State has actually beat three Power Five teams in a row. They do not look like any slouch. 
but they were not a team that expected to really give the business to Stanford. And man, am I looking at Stanford in another light in this one because San Diego State pretty much handled them quite well. And I want to highlight Mr. Shaw in this yeah, one because and, and, and I think some of this may be a little bit of a, not so much sour grapes, but just general annoyance at how much was made of the BK presser. And it's like, yes, yes, we get it. He's a dick. He's an asshole. Guess what? A lot of college coaches are. And, and Shaw is one of those where if you ask Notre Dame fans what you think of him, and pretty much the majority will say, oh, he's a huge asshole. Everybody, asshole. Re- everybody yep. remembers the phantom whistle. He was whining like a little child about the, the Manti Teo, you know, stuffing of, of the, the overtime there. And, you know, it's like, yeah, we know it. And nothing much is made of it. You know, it's not because he wins a lot. I, I think most of it is just this idea that he's kind of out there in Stanford. And quite frankly, I think most people are asleep from his antics. Well, did we have some here? <laughs> Cause at the half he's trailing seven, uh, 10 to seven while going into locker room. And for whatever reason, he's deciding to go yell at the opposing coaches. Yeah. Like, having he, a screaming match at halftime. He went out of his way to go over to, for some reason, San Diego State's wide receiver coach specifically to talk some shit about, I don't really know what, not, I, I can't get, I can't in my own mind imagine that a wide receiver coach had a lot of bearing of what was happening right then in that moment in the game, but whatever. Um, but yeah, Shaw decided, I, I, I want to have words with this gentleman. So he walks over. There isn't really a, he doesn't really get in his face, but he, he, he really, really reached to let something happen or let something known out there to tell this coach X, Y, or Z and the refs felt obligated to intervene or whatever. And they got into a shouting match. And yet have we really heard much about it since I'm no. still, I'm still anxiously awaiting the Pat 40 article uh, for where Charles inner jerk has, has risen again in the face of adversity and a loss. Oh yeah. Right. Like how, to, <laughs> how to make a, a prestigious institution look shoddy by David Shaw. No, no none of those. Yeah. Um, but it, it wasn't just his antics on on the fucking at halftime. His entire decision making process <laughs> seemed uh, <laughs> seemed to be weird or just cowardly. I mean, I, I honestly, to me, the word is cowardly. Like the dude just didn't have the gall to want to win this game. And there there are a few examples yes. that we can point to. And so much so that, that I've watched the majority of this game. I caught it in the second half uh, as some other as you know Southern Cal and Texas was over. I'm like I got to flip over to CBS, you know, Sports Network. And and the crew sucked, but what was hilarious about it was they were very willing to call Shaw out on his bullshit, which the biggest one was he is knocking on the door of the end zone. He's on the 4-yard line. And this is man ball Shaw here. This is, I'm going to put, you know, five fullbacks, you know, right in front of my running back, and I'm just going to run the ball down your throat. So on the four-yard line, just right there at the end zone, fourth and inches, not even not even a yard. It's, it's, only, it's only fourth and one uh, because they, they don't do round down. But it was fourth and inches. He basically, quarterback has to fall forward. He decides to yep. kick a field goal. And the CBS guys were were beside themselves, and any Notre Dame fan that was still awake at the time was just having a ball just seeing that. It's like, well, here's here's your Stanford man ball. They they wussed out and kicked a field goal. Yep. <laughs> yep. And not only that, oh, a little man. a little bit later, Shaw was spotted by the CBS cameras a good twenty to thirty yards away from his entire team. Like the shot was Shaw and just Shaw to where the CBS guys were like, "What is is that?" Is that Shaw? It's where's his team? Yeah. It's, so he was just kind of standing out there pouting. 
<laughs> and then at the very end of the game, uh, there's about 40-some-odd seconds left. Shaw has two timeouts. He's only down by three. Again, final on this one was 20-17. to 17. And um, it was funny. San Diego State runs the ball. And you can see on the sideline, there's just this confusion on San Diego State's side because Shaw did not use either of his timeouts to see if he couldn't force a fumble or something crazy like that. Yes, even if he uses both timeouts, the clock could probably run out, but don't you at least try? What What he the hell? He didn't even try. Look. That's the issue. Is he didn't try. A lot of this, I feel like, can be chalked up. I mean, we're, we're in year what of Shaw? Like six, seven now? I don't know. Uh, he's uh, been there as long, if not, I, I would, I'll, I'll tell you what, I will look it up as you get to your point, because I, I feel like him and Kelly are either right there or he is like a one year, year younger Kelly. at worst. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I feel like it's been long enough that people have established David Shaw as his own um, level of good coach, even though, you know, there isn't really much to say before Stanford. But I feel like we're at a point now where there is an undeniable uh, lack of the Harbaugh footprint on that program. And I get the sense that now what we're seeing is more of this is what David Shaw's programs look like. Like this is more so now that it's essentially been two full class cycles that you you find a coach who no longer is really able to ride the whatever number of years of, of success that were established at that program prior to your presence as the head coach. Um, you now have your own staff across the board. Um, undeniably, uh, players that you recruit are the ones that you want, and everything has your fingerprint on it. But I feel like what we're seeing now is that when things just kind of go a little bit awry for David Shaw, David Shaw is not the kind of dude to come out and say, hey, man, fuck it. We're just going to pull our pants back up and, you know, I mean, and the same will happen tomorrow, uh, just another day. He's more of the, wait, this is bullshit. Wait, I don't even want to use my timeouts. Wait, I'm going to stand way away from my team because I need alone time mid-game. Wait, I don't know, man. <laughs> you, know who he, get... you know who he is? I, it just mm-hmm. dawned on me because I'm sitting here looking at my drops and I was about to play a serial drop. He's serial from Archer. Oh, my God. <laughs> It's way too complicated to explain, especially to YouTube. I mean, he's just, he, yeah. he's, he's that guy. It's just like, yeah. no, no, I know what I'm doing. You're all a bunch of dumb assholes. And, and really, you're dead on, I think, because it was, once Harbaugh left, and by the way, it was 2011, so one year less than Kelly. So we are in okay. year seven, uh, okay. so year seven of Shaw. And obviously, he has had some success, yes. He had a stock cupboard, but he also had, you know, McCaffrey. Yeah, Christian McCaffrey as well. Yep. And so we're, I, I think you, we may be seeing the opposite end of it because this was weird. I mean, here, here's some stats for you. Stanford got eight first downs the entire game. What? Just think about that for a second. Eight first downs the entire game. They were three for 11 on third down. They only amassed 80 passing yards, which, okay, Stanford runs the ball a lot. However, you would think Stanford, oh, they must have, you know, still controlled the ball pretty well. Um, Time of possession, which I generally think is a pointless stat. Uh, Not so in this one when it's this lopsided. 41 minutes, 14 seconds for San Diego State. What? 18 minutes, 46 seconds for Stanford. San Diego State nearly held the ball for three quarters. Holy shit. Unbelievable. That's that's (laughs) the problem. Because I feel like USC did something similar to them. How many rushing yards did Stanford have in this game? 
Uh, a lot. I didn't write it down, but they actually had a fair amount. It was their okay. offense. I mean, they they got yeah, if they yeah. didn't eclipse two hundred, they got close to it. I mean, they did amass a lot of yards. Uh, Love did get quite. A, I mean, he had some big runs, sure. and that really sure. is what in, ensured that they had some good ones too. Uh, but they also turned the ball over three times as yeah, well. Okay. Everything, this was not what you would expect Sanford football to be, just just period. I mean, even from Notre Dame fans that are used to seeing this team give us headaches, this mm-hmm. is not this is not the same Stanford team at all. And, I feel like uh, what Stanford was reliant on was more versatile weapons like your Christian McCaffrey's. They also had a decent wide receiving core before this year, which apparently doesn't seem to be much in their favor right now. And they had the tight end situation, which is always healthy. For whatever reason, it just feels like... Yes, they got Bryce Love, who's, who's an objectively great running back. And, you know, their offense is, you know, big dude running down your throat. But you, you get the sense that that seems to be the only thing that's working for them. And they, they, they are unable to compensate for that with points in other facets like they were able to do in the past, I don't know, two, three years with Christian McCaffrey essentially returning every ball ever for a touchdown that he ever touches. Right. Um, so now that you have David Shaw, who's essentially... Uh, fatal funneled himself into this corner where he's got to run the ball successfully or else. Um, teams have figured out that, yeah, they have to run the ball successfully or else, and they will run the ball, but they won't do shit else, and we will win. Yeah. And boom, there you go. I mean, think think about what happened to Notre Dame against and, and Georgia. I mean, same, yeah. same blueprint. Yes, we know you can run the ball, but we're stopping it, and we're daring you to do anything else. And, and Stanford did have 174 rushing yards in this one. Um, so, I mean, 22, 174, rush, 174, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> they I don't want to be a dick coming off of 500 over here, but like when you only have 80 <laughs> passing yards, you can't supplement that with just 147 rushing yards. Yeah. So, so if you need to do the math folks, that is 254 total yards. Yeah. <clears> it, it was bad. And, and the best part though, and, and the ultimate hilarity in this game is that the lights literally go out on pack 12 after dark and the joke all over Twitter was pack 12 in the dark for this yeah. one. The, the game Hell literally yeah. had blacked out because Qualcomm Stadium out there. So the Chargers leave. I guess they forgot to pay the electric bill or, or forgot to tell somebody where the backup power was. So yeah. there was a good, if I remember, I, I was, I, I damn near fell asleep during the uh, the, the power outage. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad I stayed awake to, to see the ending of this one. But yeah, the, the lights flat out went out on Stanford <laughs> and San Diego State. Might be a metaphor for their season. Yeah, th- this, this game had everything oh it was Damn. so good all right let's move on because there was a game that i was looking forward to thought would be a hell of a lot closer uh it was not uh, nope. that is clemson and louisville and clemson just just stomped louisville 47 to 21 um clemson's defense might be the real deal here folks i mean they coming off their 11 sack victory against auburn uh, they get four sacks seven tackles for loss on the day lamar jackson still put up some pretty decent numbers but i mean He was the entire offense through the air, 317 yards, three touchdowns on just 50% passing, which should tell you, one, just how good Lamar Jackson is to still be able to get that off 50%, two, just how Clemson's defense is to make sure he doesn't complete more than 50% of his passes. He is also restricted to 64 yards on the ground, which to me is really the big difference here because, like you said with Stanford, um, Louisville, you know, they're relying on McCaffrey or somebody to kind of do it all. Louisville is absolutely uh, relying on Lamar Jackson to both win through the air and on the ground. And Lamar's legs, you know, he got a couple decent runs in. But, I mean, if he's not rushing for 100-plus yards as well, it might be a long day for the Cardinals, and it definitely was here. 
Yeah, I mean, it's it's essentially what I said in the preview is that they they seem to be expecting to run Lamar too much, and a team like Clemson, it just gives you that Matumbo finger. Nah, no, because it, it, it's not only clear that it's their identity, but Lamar is essentially their offense. He is understandably the 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 avenue through which their entire offense travels, and and in a, in a game against a team like Clemson whose defense just seems to never go away ever. You can graduate the entire starting 11 and another 11 will come in that will probably all get drafted as well. Um, this game was just not, they, they were out of sync and it was, it was from early on um, Lamar's feet. Um, he didn't even need to set them regularly. He was still making his passes or whatever, but when he was trying to run on the outside, which is essentially what they try to do with him, Essentially, Clemson did what Georgia did to Notre Dame. They they just shut down the edges with their linebacker play, um, and then they forced him to try to beat him through the air. Which he you know he did work through the air, but it was essentially charity work because I mean it was they had scored what like seven points by halftime. It it, it wasn't close. No, um, not at all. It was never close. I, I had this relegated to my iPad because uh, I was watching uh, the Triple G Canelo boxing match. I had SC Texas picture in picture, and this I was got sent to the iPad because I'm like. I'm just going to keep it there just in case something changes. And it never did. Nope, never. And I mean, Clemson, everyone's, you know, made much ado about, you know, like the, their new quarterback situation and all that. I mean, kid has just been, uh, I mean, not Deshaun Watson part two, but it's like they haven't missed a beat since he left. Um, their, their offense is clicking on all cylinders. Uh, I, I can say that there is, you have to consider the fact that, you know, Louisville does have a different defensive situation now. You know, they have a new defensive coordinator who came over, I believe from uh, from Mississippi State. I believe they traded coordinators, um, or uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. Uh, but the reality is, in this game, there was never a moment where you got the sense that Lamar was going to take over. And it's funny because you know they they did a lot about how in the last matchups between the reigning Heisman winner and the national championship uh, defending national champion, what the result was, and the only one to win so far out of the five times that's ever happened was Tim Tebow when he beat uh, LSU in their second matchup. Um, but yeah, Clemson, uh, I mean, they're, they're now number two in the polls. Uh, it's, it's feeling a lot like another, another playoff year for this team, especially considering that the ACC doesn't really have a lot going on um, with, with FSU situation looking bleak and, and Miami. Well, now that they have one, that they're one game short, because of the hurricane, they had the Miami FSU game postponed. They are still number 14 in the polls, but it just seems like the ACC belongs to Clemson now that Louisville is essentially out of the way. So um, it, 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 if anybody's going to represent in the playoff this year from the ACC, it's got to be Clemson. Yeah, this season's starting to get a very 2007 vibe to it, in which <laughs> is, is anybody really good? And, and right now Clemson, I think, is, is staking a claim for sure, especially after this game. Definitely putting it out there that they belong. Of course, you always have Alabama, and now we're we're kind of looking around. You know, OU, Oklahoma State. You know, definitely, it's like okay, let's see who knocks one of the other Hell off yeah. there in the Big Twelve. But that, that's really what you're looking for is, is is who's standing out because as we just went through, two favorites in the Pac-12 looking like potential garbage. I mean, well, yeah. Stanford garbage and Stanford trash. USC questionable. SC yes, SC uh, suspected uh, trash suspicion. Or suspicion. That's what I'm looking for. Words yep. are hard. Uh, but yeah, yes, I mean, that's that's really what we're looking at. And that's that's what I took away from this. I'm like, uh, Clemson and Alabama, for real. Everybody else, yeah. um, I have no idea. Start proving it. Because I thought LSU might be for real. 
Let's go ahead and move to that. Let's get to some upsets here because I'm like, oh, they got Air Canada. They finally figured out the offense. You know, Etling can he, he's a, they got a quarterback. Look, they can yeah, throw the ball. Former Purdue quarterback. Yeah. Oh. Well, well, maybe we should have known better. Maybe we should have right. known better because right. Stark Vegas strikes again, and whatever offensive rebirth that LSU may have been having under uh, Canada and Coach O uh, just died the most horrible of deaths. Um, here's yes, some here's some wonderful stats for you. Uh, 270 yards total. Etling had 137 of those through the air. He went 13 for 29. And again, I'm not a fan of quarterback ratings, but when they're this low, I feel like I need to at least say what it is. 10.2. And yeah, and this is probably part of the reason why, because I know quarterback ratings, a lot of it has to do with quote unquote efficiency, which, you know, you get touchdown passes or long passes, that number goes up. Well, his average on passing, on passing, mind you, is 4.7. Great for rushing, not through the air, less than five yards. Incredible. Damn, 4.7 yards per pass. I mean, Jesus. I mean, I don't know what Mississippi State's made of, man, but uh, they seem, I mean, they seem to be for real, and it's it's still, uh, it's, it's all, to me, it's all coming from their quarterback situation. I mean, their defense definitely shut down LSU. You have to give them that credit, but... I also get the feeling that they really, really, really wanted guys to produce, and it was so painfully obvious that Mississippi State didn't really have to get that creative. You know what I mean? They didn't. Again, when you go one-dimensional, I mean, guys had 76 yards and 15 carries. He, I mean, but when you're playing catch-up, you're going to have to start airing it out because guess what? You're down by 30 freaking points, and you need to pass the ball. You do not have a choice, and it's over at that point because – Entling couldn't do a damn thing. It, it was it was so so terrible. This game was like oh I'll keep it on, and then I was like uh, I I literally went I helped put the kid to bed, and I came back, and all of a sudden LSU was down by like two plus possessions. So I'm like okay, never mind. This one's over. Forget yeah, this. I'm gonna right. watch something else. Oh, and that LSU though, great defense, right, Shane? At least they got that uh, going for them. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, gave up 285 yards on the ground. Damn, 285 yards. An LSU Damn. defense. Rushing. Wow. Rushing, yes. Good Lord. That Good Lord. is. Hey, man. I mean, Mississippi State jumped <laughs> from unranked to straight up to number 17. And I'm, you know what? I'm not even mad. Sure. Yeah. Again, this is what I mean by there's some 2007 vibe stuff going on here. We're, we're, yeah, we're, we're still shuffling the cards. We're still trying to figure out who's what at this point. Yeah, essentially, it's like, well, all the things that we thought because we've we've known them for years may we may need to reevaluate you know like things things are things are shifting the the tides they are changing yes they are but i mean this this next upset um i think everybody kind of circled this on their calendar that maybe this would happen and kind of the other the second i saw the line yeah (laughs) exactly because this is memphis upsetting uh ucla in an absolute uh shootout of a game here 48 to 45 this game notre dame nearly finished their first quarter by, by the time this one ended, it lasted yeah. so damn yeah. long. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, but I mean, yeah, and honestly, it, it, you just were watching this game, and you just had a, you know, this is you know Jack's complete lack of surprise watching this one the entire time because Memphis was exposing UCLA's lack of a run game, the holes mm-hmm. in their defense, and UCLA just could – I mean, Rosen played a good game. I mean, that's one thing you do want to say. Josh Rosen, if it weren't for him, UCLA would be such hot freaking garbage right now. Yep, yep. But they could just never put UCLA away. I mean, Rosen would have this heroic drive, 
and it, it was the opposite of what happened against Texas A&M. So Rosen would do these heroic things, and then the defense would shut down the, the dumpster fire that was the Texas A&M offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but not so here. Memphis found a way to score just seemingly every single time. There was time. there was no, to use a baseball term, shut down inning here at all. And Memphis, you know, held serve, and they won this game. Yeah, I mean, basically, Memphis made it a point that if you're gonna, if we're gonna score and, or you're, and you're gonna answer every time, then we got another answer for you. Um, and and yes, Josh Rosen did a lot, but I think what, you know, it's essentially what cost them is that the fact that he had to essentially put the game on his back, which cut, led to costly turnovers, and essentially cost them the game. But the idea that UCLA would that this was really any of a surprise is to me a little bit far fetched. I mean, okay, so first of all, going back to my first point, the line. The line was UCLA minus three. Um, And now I understand that they were on, I mean, they were on the road and everything, but for some reason you you would expect that if this Memphis team was, was, was given, you know, any sense of disrespect that the line would have been a little bit healthier. If if UCLA was really to be believed, I felt like this was one of those Vegas knows some shit games that, um, that was vegas saying please please god bet yeah. ucla it's so inviting yeah, it's a please, we'd love your money we'd love your money <laughs> exactly um, but when you when you look at that you, you, it jumps off the page as okay well maybe ucla really isn't all there um because i don't think anyone had heard of memphis in depth prior to this game's result um but ucla like you said has no running game they just they, i mean they may break off a 30 yarder here or there as is, as is the case with every game but they really didn't have an offensive identity that did not revolve 100% around the abilities of Josh Rosen. And then their defense just didn't even play. They, they weren't even. Yeah. They might as well not have shown up to the game in certain yeah. parts. It was, it was bad, uh, but fun it, entertaining as hell. It was a very entertaining game to watch. And the best part was, I mean, we've gone through a lot of shit that happened this week and we still got a lot more to go, but this is how it started. And we're like, Oh, this might be the craziest thing that happens all, all Saturday. Nope. <laughs> so much for that. All right. Well, let's move on because, like I said, we still got a lot of games to talk about here. Um, and Florida and Tennessee um, was, if you watch, I, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment because I actually had this picture in picture with Notre Dame BC. So both first halves, I, I wanted to go blind, apparently. I just wanted to go blind with terrible offense. Wow. <laughs> the score, wow. the score not, not just at the half, but until the fourth quarter, was <laughs> six to three, Florida lead. <laughs> And this was not a defensive struggle. This was offensive ineptitude. But all of a sudden yeah. in the fourth, now some of it were defensive scores, but 37 combined points in the fourth quarter. Uh, no Malik Zaire in this one. Uh, however, Florida pulls off. I don't even know if I'm going to call this a Hail Mary. It no. was a one guy ran deep, and apparently Tennessee forgot, oh, this is the last play of the game. Uh, now let's, let's not set everybody right at the goal line. Let, let's go ahead and let somebody get behind us. Hmm. Touchdown, 60-yard bomb, game over. Yeah, you know, funny enough, it was reminiscent of those passes you see in practice where a quarterback throws it into a garbage can. Oh, you're welcome, Tennessee. Interesting. <laughs> well, well, yeah, that garbage can. Uh, Tennessee uh, uh, maybe forgot that they're not supposed to be the ones turning the ball over because they have three interceptions. One of them was a pick six that helped Florida stay in this thing. Whoops. Oh, my God. This was so bad. And you look at, I mean, the, both teams came in at the edge of, you know, the top 25. And it's one of those things where after the game is over, you're like, can we just not rank either of them? Yeah, this is a no one wins game. No one wins. Nope. 
Oh, it was so bad. But the the picture of the day, every day should be Saturday. So Spencer Hall put out a he photoshopped the uh, the uh, McElwain lookalike uh, naked guy with shark and uh-huh. put the Tennessee trash can face on the yeah. shark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still convinced that that was actually McElwain, but whatever. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, if it isn't, it's it's his evil twin, man. I mean, God. Yeah, seriously. It, it's uncanny. Yeah. It's getting to be hot garbage for Florida right now. Um, yeah, and, yeah. And, and Tennessee as well. To which now now you're wondering, I mean, Georgia had a cream puff game, but you are wondering, you know, as a Notre, from a Notre Dame perspective, it's like, well, maybe Georgia will at least look good after they kind of run through the, the East. Maybe. I don't know. This... Nobody looks good in that division at all. Um, I'm I'm gonna hold out that Georgia actually like just like owns every other team just to give me a better feeling about a one point loss of them. Um, <laughs> but I mean, it's the SEC East. Who the fuck knows? Exactly. And uh, we got a few more games to go over. We're gonna try to go through these quickly. And again, there was just so much that went on here, and we got to get to Notre Dame. Obviously, lots to talk about there. Uh, but let's start with Michigan, who had a struggle against Air Force. Uh, the game was not as close. Uh, well, it was closer than the final score indicates, rather. Uh, 29 yeah. to 13. Uh, I want to mention this because they didn't get their first offensive touchdown until late in the fourth quarter, which basically put the game out of reach for Air Force. They were zero for the day in red zone touchdowns. They only have one all season. And if I remember mm-hmm. right, uh, the last I was keeping count, I was doing uh, live tweets on it. Uh, I believe now they are one for either 11 or one for 12 on the season. Uh, the things are, might be cracking around there. Uh, there's there's some weakness again showing. Another one where the cracks are showing, even though Michigan is undefeated right now. Yeah, uh, Michigan basically continues to, uh, I guess, insist that they are a complete team when the reality is they are half a team. They are an incredibly, incredibly competent defense. I mean, Doc Brown is doing is doing work up there, but they are an insanely incompetent offensive team. <laughs> That's putting it um, lightly. Yeah, they. I mean, zero uh, for the day uh, in red zone. I mean, imagine. Yeah, I'm sure we don't have to go back very far in the lore of Notre Dame to rec- to remember when our red zone offense was absolute trash. Um, but this is the kind of thing where yes, they, they they can continue to 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 claim that they you know they deserve the spot uh, in the top uh, upper echelon of college football. But the reality is, is they're just a defense. That's it. Um, and it is not going to take very long for some scheme to come through. And, you know, catch them with their pants down because they, whatever they're doing, whatever insistence they have about keeping Wilton Spade at quarterback, I mean, that's fine, but they must do so at their own peril because it doesn't seem like that's going to be very effective for very long. No, it definitely doesn't. So we'll see how, how that turns out in there. So, so again, a little bit, some garbage suspicion rolling around Michigan as well. Um, not garbage suspicion here, suspicion of, holy shit, they are probably pretty good. Uh, and that is the the fighting mullets of Mike Gundy here in Oklahoma State. They absolutely trounced Pitt, fifty nine to twenty one. Game was not that close. Uh, no, they, they are a legit force in the Big Twelve. This game was over in the first, not even the first quarter, maybe the first quarter of the first quarter. Yeah. Hi, my name is Shane. I'm a college football fan, and I want nothing to do with <laughs> Oklahoma State because holy shit, uh, they. It was like 21 nothing in the first quarter. Then it was like 35 nothing. It was just the kind of thing where it's like, well, shit, this is, this is not like Morgan State. This was Pitt. Um, they beat the pants off of them, and they've done it to basically everyone that they've played. So I, I don't know how. I, I, it's one of those things where I see Oklahoma State but, you know, kicking ass on offense every year, and I just want like, I just think I want that. How do you, I want that. But um, 
Yeah, they're they're terrifying. Yeah. That, that, that Bedlam game is going to be the shit this e- year. Exactly. Vegas, give me an over right now for Bedlam. Set it at anything. I'm betting or, it. There, yeah. there is going to be 100 points in that game because I'm, I'm really not sure what much of Oklahoma State will have on defense, especially against OU, but oh man, there's going to be points. There are mm. going to be points. Uh, Penn State shuts out Georgia State 56-0. This isn't something we normally mention on the podcast, but to continue the theme of, hey folks, remember coaches are assholes, uh, Franklin decides to call timeout as time is winding down because Georgia State is attempting a field goal and he wanted to freeze the kicker to preserve the shutout, which he did. I mean, it's almost like all coaches are assholes. It's such a weird thing. I know, right? Like it's 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 almost like it's not just Brian Kelly, but yeah, I mean, it's don't be ridiculous. No one else is going to write about anyone else. Just <laughs> Frank, come on. No, it, it's cute when everybody else does it. Again, winning cures all. So hopefully, we, we start getting into the winning cures all phase. Um, mm-hmm. But let's talk about. I mean, nice coach. There are nice coaches. You know what? I, I am wrong. They're nice coaches. One of them's at Nebraska. Uh, the wheels are fucking coming off of Nebraska right now. Yep. They, they lost to NIU, who is not going to be particularly good this season in the MAC. Uh, they lost 21-17. to 17. Uh, For pretty much the majority, if not all, of this game, Nebraska trailed. It was ugly. Yeah, yeah I don't – I it, it sucks because I always think of, you know, the classic Nebraska of the early 90s and think, man, that, that team was terrifying. So Nebraska is always one of those things that when, when it comes up, I think, holy shit, maybe they're good again. But they just never are. They just aren't. Um, and they're at a point now where, you know, it, it's week three. But, you know, Nebraska, I don't take them as the kind of team that was averse to midseason firings. So good luck. Enjoy. But uh, this is bad. Yeah, it is bad. Uh, buried in all the insanity, Vanderbilt. Yes, Vanderbilt had an upset. I, I had no idea this was a thing until I'm building the outline going through scores. I'm like, what? Holy shit. Kansas State was ranked in the top 20. And holy shit, yes. Vanderbilt beat them 14 to yes. 7. What the hell? They beat them on the most Kansas State game score ever. <laughs> Where did this come seven. from? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, man. Uh, I guess Kansas State was regarded as one of those teams that just essentially it, it, they are like the Wisconsin light this year. So Wisconsin, I say that because Wisconsin is known this year as having the fluffiest, largest, cupcakiest schedule in the country. And I think K-State was given the same general uh, perception that their schedule is going to be relatively easy to go through because they don't really have any of the major opponents this season. Um, they kind of dodge a lot of the of the of the danger in the Big Twelve, if you will, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, whoops, you played Vanderbilt, you <laughs> fucked up. Yeah, so maybe maybe decent team in the East. We'll see. I doubt it. I, I highly Come doubt on, it. It's Vanderbilt. Come on. All right. So obligatory Purdue watch mention. Um, <laughs> I'm afraid to say it. I think they might be good. They're crazy. 30, they are insane. Thirty-five to three. They just whip Mizzou. I actually put. I'm like, ah, oh, put some space bucks on the over here, thinking Mizzou. Hey, they'll put some points up too. Um, no, not so. Uh, False. Yeah, it was. It was not close ever. Uh, but we are also <laughs> mentioning this not just because Shane is doing some weird happy dance. This feels dirty. <laughs> but next week, folks, we are all Boilermakers. I can't yes. believe I'm saying this. Yes. They're gonna face Michigan. They are going to be at home, so Harbaugh has to travel outside Michigan next week. Yeah, see, I'll, I'll, I'll give you all a pass. I won't ask you to be Boilermakers. Let's just all be Brombros. How about that? <laughs> Brombros. Let's oh be Brombros. God. I don't know you what know, sounds worse, to be honest listen, with you. 
I can't say I'm able. I can't. I can't finish the sentence. I can't. Say, I just can't say it. Um, here's what I'll say about this game. Yes, Purdue's insane. Their offense just does not give a single flying fuck, and they will do whatever it takes to score points on you. But Missouri might be the worst, like the worst of the SEC right now. Like they are trash. Um, so much so that famed uh, Missouri fan and uh, and and alum Bill Connolly. Um, went out of his way on rockmnation.com to write a story titled, This is What Giving Up Looks Like, Holy all shit. about <laughs> this Missouri squad. Whoo, boy. That's, that things are not looking good uh, down there in Missouri right now. That's got to be a real knee to the old emotional nutsack. <laughs> this, is, this is sports math, even keeled as possible, Bill Conley. Yeah, and yeah. he wrote, oh, man, I'm going to have to read that. I'm going to have to BC take man. some time. I might have to have some popcorn, which speaking of, <laughs> next week I'm going to have some. Because oh, yeah. here comes the obligatory Baylor mention. Now, we're not going to talk much about this. I'm actually going to let a local uh, sports, uh, sports personality uh, that was on the news, he, he did it very well. So we're just going to say that they lost to Duke 34-20. to They face Oklahoma next week. Oh, man. Okay, so of course... Well, we're taking a, a little bit of Schadenfreude, to say the least, or Schadenfreude. How, how the hell do you say that properly? Schadenfreude? I don't know. Schadenfreude, yeah. Know. That long-ass word where you take pleasure in somebody else's pain. Mm. Uh, so, Mike Leslie, who is one of the sports anchors for a uh, local, n- local news station around here, WFAA, so it's the ABC affiliate uh, down here in the Dallas area, uh, he he put out on Twitter uh, because he actually did a little bit of a, a segment here. This is only about 40 seconds long. Uh, the tweet itself was, Baylor football is 0-3. Karma remains undefeated. But that karma isn't directed at who you might think. And I think this perfectly sums up uh, exactly uh, what Shane and I feel ab- about all of Baylor right now. Baylor fell to 0-3 today with a loss at Duke, which means karma moves to 3-0 and on the young season. Now, don't misunderstand me. That karma is not related to head coach Matt Rule or the players currently on that roster. They did nothing wrong. No, that karma is directed at a particular subset of Baylor fans. Fans who cast the well-being of abused young women to the side because they wanted their football team to win games. Who decided they would bury their heads in the sand, refuse to believe what had happened, and holler that Coach Art Bryles should return. That's not all Baylor fans, mind you, but far too many of them. Those are the people most irritated with this 0-3 start, and they deserve it. Yeah, I absolutely love that because he does make a good point. It's not on Rule right now. Yeah, they're taking the brunt end of it on the field, but Rule's mm-hmm. got a seven-year guaranteed contract, and, and that may be a very long seven years right now, and that buyout life might be good for Rule come down the road. And yeah, the players on the team also taking it on the shorts. They necess- didn't necessarily have anything to do with it, but... He is dead on here, uh, Mr. Leslie is, because, it, and we've covered it before, there was that subset of Baylor fans that are sitting here, you know, bring back Coach Bryles or selling fucking t-shirts for him and all this crap, and they're definitely the ones, anybody else that's got a level head knows that Baylor is going to be, there's, there's a level beyond rebuilding that Baylor has to do right now. I mean, short of blowing the whole thing up is what where they're at right now. So, mm-hmm. absolutely love this. Big hat tip to Mike Leslie here uh, uh, for for nailing it. I mean, nailed dead a uh, hammer dead on the center of the nail. Yep. Also, big hat tip to Duke for the cover. Hmm. <laughs> exactly the fourteen point spread. Nicely done. Well, that's not a cover, sir. That's a push. We've 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 we've, we've almost got you. That's Vegas knowing exactly what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. So so they're not quite winners because winners cover. Eventually, Shane, we're going to get you full degenerate here. I don't bet, man. Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I tell you what. Sometimes uh, that that would be a much smarter way to handle things. But anyway, 
let, let's go on and we got to talk about Notre Dame because they, they played a game and they played one that was literally the tale of two halves. We're, we're going to start with, with the good here because holy shit, is there some good. Now, if you are one of those that uh, may get a little bit um, uh, aroused, if you will, at uh, some rushing stats, uh, if you're listening to this at work, uh, make sure you you have like maybe an ice pack around or something. Maybe make sure your chair is a little bit underneath your desk uh, because uh, th- this 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 may get you a little bit. You you don't want to be walking around for a little while after this. Yep. All right. So the Irish rushed for 515 yards. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh my! 515 God. yards, more than some months in the previous years. This is the most. Since 1969, by the way, nice. 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 And this is back when Ara coached. Now talk about honoring the name on the front of the helmet. Hell yeah. Oh, my God. And we had Hell two 200-plus-yard yeah. rushers. That would be Josh Adams with 229 yards and Brandon Woodbush for 207, first time in school history. I mean, unreal. And this is this is not like you're you're some school that's been around for just, you know, the modern era. This is Notre fucking Dame who invented the forward pass. So there was a lot of times where they were doing nothing but running the ball, period. Yeah. Yeah. And this is what they never happened before in school history. I mean, my mind was blown when I saw that. I, I thought that was a lie when I first saw it. I mean, just just the fact, I mean, just going back to week one, three 100-yard rushers, that was the first time in school history, I was like, that seems off, but okay. But then when they're like two 200-plus-yard rushers, first time ever, I, I thought, okay, there's no fucking way. But boom, there it is. Yeah. Josh Adams and Brandon Wimbush. Hey, you can't even do this shit in the NCAA games. I mean, yeah, right? Yeah, this is so unreal. Uh, anyway, let's keep going. We're not done yet, so don't, don't stay under your desk right now, folks. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it gets better. They had 10.1 yards per rush, and that is a record that has basically been around since World War II. And yeah. this was set when it was 10.0 on the dot, and that was in 1942 against Great Lakes. That was the previous record. Notre Dame mm-hmm. just, again, they beat something that was around when, I mean, my parents weren't even around when that record nope. was set. Nope, nope. That's like incredible. three generations of lives didn't happen yet. Unbelievable. And, and and Wimbush, he rushed for four touchdowns. You can argue he had five. I, I kind of wanted Notre Dame to to, to argue that force one, right? a challenge because he sure as shit didn't look out of bounds. But you know what? He wasn't out of bounds. What happened was his foot dragged while he was reaching. But I feel like they only looked at it once because it was an ESPN broadcast and the announcers are fucking dicks. Um, <laughs> but as he was reaching was when his foot touched i feel like it was it was, i felt like it was five but yeah. whatever we get into four yeah, four that's not bad uh it, well, dexter Williams, if i remember right got a touchdown on that drive anyway so so yep. he's there he's still on the roster folks he got 50 yards on his own with just six yep. carries two yep. touchdowns as well look six carries okay again six carries he got two touchdowns and 50 yards oh my god <laughs> Dude got paid. Oh, my gosh. So there were 51 rushing attempts on the day. So there were no sacks in this one. So there was no negative yards affecting this on the sack, which, honestly, let's say this. BC got no sacks. <laughs> that was something that I, if you had told me they would have had no sacks, like, now nah, Landry's going to get at least one. No, he did not. Nope. Uh, incredible. Not. So, yes, there were some scrambles, but there were only 27 balls that actually went up in the air. I, I would say just from memory, uh, without having to go play chart the thing, 
I think maybe about five or so you could take away as scrambles because I know Wimbush had some panic to him and, and yep. even some, ah, just F it, I'm just going to take it. But still, we're looking, no matter how you slice it, that's well over, well over 50% on the ground. I mean, you know, for all of the frustration, uh, you know, in the early facets of the game, I mean, you cannot look at Chip Long and think, ah, he's not doing much. <laughs> <laughs> that dude is doing work. I mean, that is two times now, aside from, you know, the the, the struggle against that insane Georgia front, uh, they've established rushing records in the same season, in the first quarter of the season. <laughs> they're going to have over a thousand yards of rushing in a month. Yeah. By the time September's over, they're at 992 right now. Yeah. They're, they're not even, they're not even going to, I mean, we still got two games in this month. Yeah. yeah. Un- yeah man. It's, it's absolutely unbelievable. Uh, and there is a flip side to this, and and it, it does go because this was definitely a game of two halves. And, and thank God we have a coaching staff that figured out you can actually, you know, not shoot yourself in the foot continuously after the first half. You can actually make adjustments. Uh, mm-hmm. But the flip side here is Wimbush, you know, he has got a cannon for an arm. We, we all know this, but man, he is just... He has been so inaccurate. He was yep. well below 50%, 11 for 24, didn't even throw for 100 yards, had a really bad interception on top of that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, and, and again, like you said, you know, you, you run up against a vaunted D like Georgia who is going to make you pay for it. So so that really looks like what we got here. At, at least if we, if we take a step back, look, this is awesome, this is great, but we still recognize that, yes, this happened because – the offensive line was as billed and whipped the ass of an inferior opponent so much so that ESPN decided to not broadcast the entire game. Right. Exactly. <laughs> At a certain point, they're just like, ah, we're just going to cut out now. Yeah, so, so there's still things to work on. The passing game still needs to be a thing because I mean, you're going to get good defensive units. They're just going to crash on the box and they're just going to dare you. And again, they're just going to blanket E street and say, please, anybody else try to beat us. Or even mm-hmm. at this point, yeah, Wimbush just try to throw a ball. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that that's the problem. Because, uh, you know, BC, you know, for, for, for looking at the stat, you may think, well, BC's pass defense did work. Like, no, I mean, Brandon Wimbush, I guess, thought all of his receivers were seven feet tall um, because he was high-pointing Equinemius St. Brown the entire game. And it was it was really annoying, not just to watch, but you could see the annoyance on Equinemius St. Brown's face. And he's like, um, because, what What else do you want me to do, dude? I, yeah, dude? I cannot get more open for you against this defense. They if can't he touch wasn't me. hitting him high, <laughs> he was throwing it at his knees, and Equinemius just could not bring it in at all. Um, and it was it was really it was an overall bad performance from Wimbush uh, as a passer. I mean, I think that's that 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 can't really be argued. He he was not only just off; he was inaccurate. He was erratic. Um, he his decision making. I think. It was something that I tweeted during the game. His confidence in his own running ability um, is great, but it seems to also have a downside to it in that his progression suffers. His progression lasts as opposed to one, two, three, four, go. It's like one, two, ah, fuck it, I can run. Yeah, um, and there were moments where he said, oh, fuck it, I can run when he had a good pocket. I'm like, dude, just stay yeah. in there. Just yeah. take yeah. your time. Yeah. And there were, there, yeah, there were a couple times where he did that. There were a couple yeah, times he, where he did that. It's like, oh, look at that. If you let your receivers, you know, get loose when they see the play, it's like, all right, these routes aren't running. Now it's just, you know, you know, just start drawing plays in the sand. Sandlot football, just get the hell open for my quarterback. Mm-hmm. You, you will have the time because the offensive line did a hell of a good job 
making some good pockets. So yeah, Wimbush, I mean, again, he is definitely looking like, and we know now it is so clear because we're like, why didn't Ian book get any snaps against Temple? <laughs> it was because Brian Kelly and the staff wanted Wimbush to get as much work as possible for Georgia because they knew. Right. They, they right. knew. So you got to right. at least, you know, that's, it's not a great thing that, you know, they, they realized this, this was the thing, obviously, but, you know, they recognize, hey, we kind of need a, we got a big game coming up. Now, in this one, Book, you know, got a lot of work. Uh, yeah, he did. You know, comparatively. I love that his first pass was a freaking play action bomb over the middle. That was amazing. That was awesome. And, and that, <laughs> that made me, you know, I, I was wondering, you know, you know, after the Georgia thing, it's like, man, does Chip Long really know what he's doing here? You know, only, only an offensive coordinator for one year. And, man, does he show it? I tell you what, I love that set of brass balls there. Hell yeah. Hell Backup yeah. quarterback in, let's get him a touchdown. Fuck it. Fuck you, BC. <laughs> I, I will love that forever right there. But, yeah, I mean, they're making adjustments. That was good. And it really was, okay, we're just going to stop dicking around here. Guys, just run. And and, right. and the Wimbush stuff, a lot of it, they started designing runs for him. And one of the things that was driving me nuts, I'm like, man, screw this run-pass option crap. Just go at him. And they did. They started just going yep. right at him. They they just was like, oh, let's just hand it off to Josh. He's just exploding through the hole. And that's yeah. exactly, you know, phrasing. But that's exactly what he did. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to. You're five. Um <laughs> 12. Yeah, but, give me give me some credit. At least 12. Five-year-old didn't get right, that right, joke. Right. But yes, uh, Josh Adams did his, you know, did exactly what he was what he was doing all game. So it, it's good to see that they realized that. And then the way they designed the runs for Wimbush in the second half was really the big thing for me. Because the first half, it felt like they were still trying to do a lot on the edges. Um, and you know, BC recognized that it wasn't working against Georgia. And I think they they tried to sniff some of that out early on in the game, which essentially kept things a lot closer than it needed to be. Um, but yeah, the design runs after that were Fuck the pass option. Just essentially read the crashing defender, and if he's not, if he's coming in, just keep it and bounce. And that's exactly what happened. Two hundred seven yards later, and four touchdowns. There you go. Yeah, and, and we do need to talk about the first half because let me tell you, folks, I was full out planning. I'm like, I'm making my heel turn. I'm going to the dark side in this one, and, and I think a lot of it had to do with that. It was fucking Boston College. Because yeah. I'm just like, not this, I've seen this movie before, not this shit again, where it's mm -hmm. of all teams, it's this fucking team, because I said it on this podcast, what I really wanted to see is I wanted to see the bounce back. I, I didn't mm -hmm. want to see a hangover. I wanted to see that this wasn't snowballing, if you would. Oh, God. <laughs> and did it ever look like it was fucking snowballing? Not helping my mood was ESPN replaying the fucking press conference right off the bat, continuously mentioning it left and right, showing fucking BC fucks Notre Dame highlights. And that was one of the things. Look, if you're usually when people show, you know, uh, highlights from the series, they show, you know, kind of both sides getting the better yeah. of each other. No, no, not here. Nope. It, it was no. the it was the montage of let's let's try to piss off the Notre Dame fans. It's what it felt like. I mean, they were, they were shameless in, in, in their selection of what they wanted to show. And so the funny thing is, it's like, not only were they shameless about it, they, they gave it no context. Like there was oh, yeah, just space between two plays and then everybody was mic turned off and they just, here's Brian Kelly's conference. Boom. Um, they didn't explain what was happening. They didn't explain why, what context they were trying to put it in. Um, and then when they come back from it, they're like, well, see, every coach has a bad day. And then Greasy's like, yeah, see, I don't care. Yeah, you can't do that. Sorry, I don't care. Never mind the fact that they won't make a single comment about James Franklin or David Shaw being bitches. Like, <laughs> I, it just, it, it, it was so deliberate. And 
I, it makes me wonder if these war rooms at ESPN, before they actually go into the broadcast, like when they bring in other broadcasters into the actual discussion, if they specifically tell them, what we want you to do is we want you to be excited anytime Boston College does anything remotely interesting, and we want you to sound like you're at at a funeral whenever Notre Dame does anything interesting <laughs> because it was that it was that serious it was like okay um let's say Brian uh Brandon Wimbush uh, incomplete pass on third down like oh and the defense shuts this drive down it's incredible and then Brandon Wimbush <laughs> runs like 65 yards for a touchdown like all right and yeah that's a Notre Dame touchdown um it's Brandon Wimbush yep that's Brandon Wimbush there it is uh good score uh, like, see, dude, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah, Shane, I, I honestly don't believe your theory here because that would imply this broadcasting crew actually prepared. Oh, yeah, they did not. They, they, they did not. I, I, I'm not even sure if they – and I've done play-by-play before, folks. I did it for, for D-League basketball. I've done it twice. You know, It's not mm. like I have a long story play-by-play career. I, and I was nervous as hell when I did that. I mean, I'm watching, you know, things I can find on YouTube for these teams so I can maybe recognize them. And then I get to the game and realize all these fuckers change their numbers. So I'm yep. I am shitting myself before I go on the air for the first time ever to do play by play. And I'm sitting here looking at numbers. I know I know I don't nail it every single time, but I had the pleasure of being on the radio so I could get away with it. But I would also try to correct myself if I knew it was super obvious. These guys, mm-hmm. no, no, I don't even know if they looked at the roster at the time no, to no. try to cover it because you got a numerical roster right in front of you, yeah, just yeah. in case. And you can and you can hear people now. I've done it before. I can hear them stalling when when they don't know who's on the field. It's like, oh yeah, you know exactly when the pause is taking place. Yeah, it's like, oh, and there's you know, like if it's a running back or something, not even if it's a pass. It's like, oh, huge. Run up the middle for 20 yards and then you just hear kind of the layout a little bit they hope the color commentator chimes in and then they say That's michael young oh there it yeah, is. it's like yes yes yeah you know dexter wimbush on the carry you know yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen him in forever <laughs> um but yeah i mean it, it was it was so bad and i don't want to spend too much time on it but god it was it was jarring how awful it was and, yeah, they, and I'm they, and I'm sure they did it the same on BC's side as well. But obviously, I don't give two shits about who's on BC, BC's roster. No, listen, so. ESPN was so unprepared that they showed an old timey penis <laughs> mid broadcast. There was Notre Dame, or actually, you had that. What did what did you call Notre it? Dame Ducock? Oh, yes, Notre Dame Ducock, right there on the screen. To yep. which I didn't notice it the first time oh, yeah. until I'm sure they didn't either. <laughs> Oh no! And, <laughs> but the the best part about it was every Notre Dame fan after it was clear what showed up on the screen field day with with all yes. kinds of up puns oh, party. Yeah, because um, yeah, I was like, that's either Notre Dong or some Notre Dick on screen right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Oh, that, I cannot believe they did that. Actually, I can. Yeah, yeah man, <laughs> live broadcast. But anyway, back to my near turn to the dark side here, because yes, 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 I mean, that was, and I can't wait to do the recap. This time I don't have travel, so I'm actually going to take my time. I'm going to start putting it together uh, on Monday, try to get it maybe out Monday afternoon, Thursday, mm-hmm. mid-morning, some, or not Thursday, Tuesday, mid-morning, something like that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we were all, a lot of us, I mean, maybe not all. I mean, there were some people that kept a level head. I, I like to pride myself on keeping a level head. I did not this time. I had had it so much so. Because I'm a superstitious motherfucker, Shane. I don't know if you realize this. I do. Yeah, and, and this this is because I blame it on the fact that, one, my dad is also super superstitious. And I played baseball. You don't get, I think, a group of athletes that do more dumb shit than baseball players out of, out of routines or superstition. And I pitched, which I think is the other subset of people that are just fucking weird when it comes to this. 
So I'm wearing, and I, I really felt like it was my fault. I'm like, you know what? This jersey's not bad luck. So I pull out the Shamrock jersey from when they played in Fenway Park. And then when I see it, like, basically happening fucking again, just without yeah. the turnovers this time, I'm like, you know what? Screw it. We're changing everything. So I finish my beer. I pour myself a rum and coke because I'm switching to liquor. I go back to the bedroom. Mind you, my wife and kid are in the front room. They have no idea what I'm doing either. <laughs> and I, I go back. I throw the jersey on the floor. I go find. And, and this is the other thing that, that we did. We brought one of the Shamrock Series jerseys out, uh, the one where they just curb stomped Purdue back in 2012. I pull mm-hmm. that one out. So I'm, And the reason I pulled it out wasn't because I'm like, hey, it's a 2012 jersey. It's like, no, I need to wear something blue. This, this green yep. shit's clearly not working right now. It's backfired against BC in the past before, so I'm going pure blue. So I went down there. My wife just starts laughing at me. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. I don't even care. I know this does not affect the game, but you know what? It makes me feel better that I did something. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, it worked. And the best part about it was I knew I wasn't alone. And there's going to be a whole yeah. section on the recap for this of shit people changed. <laughs> At the half to try to change Notre Dame's luck. Nice. It was so great. People were went and changed the location of what they were watching. They were changing what they drink. They were changing what they ate. And, and here I am doing kind of a combination of all of it. And no, look, man, I totally understand. I have two jerseys. Actually, I have three jerseys. I have a green one, um, and I have my my Teo slash Everett Golson number five jersey. Now Niles Morgan, and then I have a white jersey with a number nineteen on it. And I'm sure we're all familiar with the recent history of the number 19. It's bad. Um, <laughs> I don't ever wear the white 19 jersey because every single time that I've even thought about it or been in a room where myself or a significant other was wearing it, things went to shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm completely averse to that jersey. So I totally understand your superstitious feelings. <laughs> yeah, I think that Fenway jersey, I don't I'm never going to wear it again for a game. I might wear it to like an alumni event or something. Hell, I may just frame the damn thing because it's <laughs> nice. It's a, I like the jersey. It's sweet. I love it. I think it looks great. But yeah, I'm never wearing it for a game again. Nope, nope, nope. Not nope. happening. Never. I, I'm almost because I love I always wear green. That's it, just one of my things. I have like green okay. shoes. I always wear. I have like green sunglasses when I'm out at the game. I, I'm huge on wearing green. Uh, and but this no, it, I may, I'm even rethinking that. I, I may just wear blue for a little while. <laughs> there you go. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it was really and in all seriousness, what this reminded me of. It's like you know what? Once I calmed down and thought about it, and you know, obviously the euphoria of the 500 plus rushing yards just kind of washes over you over and over again. Just and remembering we did that to Boston College because it turned mm-hmm. into yes, this is every fucking Notre Dame BC game ever. To oh god, ESPN didn't even want to film the. Mer- anymore it's now on espnu i have to change the channel Mm -hmm. but this is like every insert top 10 team here and and anybody that watches more noted more football than just outside of notre dame you see this team that is playing a clearly vastly inferior opponent and they are just dicking around for the entire half and you're like oh potential upset watch and then what happens they just curb stomp the hell out of them for the entire second half Right and right. Notre Dame finally, and this is why everybody's ready to jump off the ledge. Notre Dame doesn't do this; mm-hmm. they do not. <laughs> it is either it is either all or nothing. We're either steamrolling them for the entire game, or we shit the bed, every or time, we yeah. shit the bed, or we're just barely squeaking out a victory. No, this time they went into the half. I have no idea what the halftime. I haven't even looked at the icon yet, but I assume it was something around the lines of, um, "Guys, this is Boston College, and you can push them around." And we're just going to run it at them from here on out, mm-hmm. by the way. Uh, let's go get them. And they did it. Yeah. And I'm yeah, not, I think that was. Go ahead. 
I think that was Brian Kelly's comment uh, in the postgame pressers that in the half at the halftime he went in t- told the offensive line guys, come on. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, oh shit, you're right. Okay, my bad, bro, my bad. No, I mean that's seriously what it looked like. It was like, hey, yeah, let's let's go ahead and do this. And obviously the play calling changed a little bit. They stopped doing. I mean, the first play of the game, the first drive of the game, rather, three mm. straight passes and started. I'm glad we got some Canadian bacon in the rotation. But I was like, oh, Clay Shapel, I that's exactly what I want is the screen to him to start the game. Yeah, no. What are you nope. No, that's, what are you doing? And We're very bad at running screens, and it's alarming how, how consistently bad we've been for years. Yeah. So every every time I see a screen coming, I go, fuck. Well, there goes second down. Next. Yeah, you know what? And it takes a lot of it is hard to run a screen. It is it is very much timing, and, and this may go back to Wimbush as well, part of it, but I, I think part also goes to the line as well. The line's got to time it right. They got to sell the block just enough to not give it away. Then they got to quickly get out in front of the play and, and not go too far downfield, which is something else that's happened to Notre Dame before. Mm-hmm. And and then you got to have a quarterback that knows how to drop back far enough in the pocket to get the defenders to chase and then get the right touch and the right speed out there. But everything either develops too slow. Somebody whiffs on a block. Somebody throws it. Or in those swing routes, you know, somebody throws it, you know, not at their chest, so they can't start running with the ball. They're having to readjust and land because they had to jump for the damn thing. Right. So yeah, that yeah, the screen game's concerning. But that's yeah, that was the crap they started with, and it's like you know what? Yeah, screw it, just run the ball. Yeah, yeah, just run it. I mean, and this has, I mean, and I'm glad we made the adjustments because that's one thing to check off the book. I mean, good, we made it to the point to where it turned from a frustrating game to an absolute laugher. Awesome, mm-hmm. that, that's great. Mm-hmm. But this still feels like a team that three games in is still trying to figure out just what the hell it is on the offensive side of the ball at this point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and they need to figure it out. And and like we said in the Georgia postmortem, you can't just keep being that one-dimensional because somebody's going to find a way to stop you. And when they do, you're going to have to make them pay in another way. Maybe we run into the majority of teams that we face on the schedule. It's like this, where the offensive line is – we got uh, the the all American left side that we can just blow everybody off the line, and it doesn't matter. You literally can't stop us, and we know it. But you're going to run into better teams that they're going to be able to counteract that. They're going to be able to stuff it, and then you have to say, okay, now we got to make them pay in a different way so we can keep them honest, so we can get back to our strengths. And if you right. can't do that, you're going to struggle against the the teams that you need to beat to basically have the other big glaring checkbox that has remained unchecked seemingly since 2012 against OU win a big game, beat a major ranked team. And, and that's what we're all waiting for. This is nice, but there's still, everybody knows it's like, yeah, this is great, but, and that, but is not going to go away until at least at this point, the way the schedule's shaking out, we're looking at SC and we're looking at maybe Miami. Yeah, Stanford. I mean, Stanford might be gone now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'll see. I, I get the sense that Stanford won't be much, and I get the sense that Miami may be less than they are right now, just because again they've only played one game this season. But yeah, it's 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 at a point now where they, they their offensive identity needs to be established and it needs to be confidently established because when USC comes to town, um, I I have no doubt that Mike Elko will pull out all the stops, and y- you could see it happen. When Georgia, when the Georgia game was getting a little bit out of control, that no matter what, Elko made sure to keep everything in line as to the best of his ability, and they really, really stepped up. Um, and that defense has come, you know, leaps and bounds. But it's 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 just a matter of if that offense can't contribute on its own end, 
then, you know, games like the USC game, games like Miami, even Stanford, um, they, they could be potentially, you know, a lot more dangerous than they need to be um, if the offense can't do its job. Because, you know, at the end of the day, yes, you can run the ball, but you have this receiver problem that you need to figure out. Like, that needs to be ironed out. And then at the same time, you know, Wimbush needs to recognize his his offensive line is there to help him out. And, yeah, he's going to take a hit or two. But apparently that was a whole thing that he wanted was to take hits. And yet now he's got happy feet. So it's it's, it's got to be something. You know what I mean? Exactly. And, and I even tweeted at the zenith of my frustration. I was like, look, I really believe it's like when Wimbush has so much talent. He, he's going to eventually figure it out, but man, he, he's got to, or they're going to be in trouble. And I got a couple mentions like, well, what evidence do you have of this? And it was like, at that moment, Wimbush just started to go all-star running back rusher on everybody. Yeah, and, yeah. and just, I'm like, and that's the reason why. So the other side of this, and, and I doubt it's too many listeners of this po- particular podcast that may fall on this because I, I am, I am definitely a card carrying member of rakes rakes book club here. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm definitely, I like Ian book a lot. I don't want him to to be the guy no. that's running out there because things Wimbush is way too dynamic, and the fact is is that the rushing potential that he has is something that is going to keep a defensive coordinator up late at night. Now, Book can definitely run the read option. He he's he doesn't have you know super wheels, but he's he's enough of a threat to keep people honest. But he is not right. two hundred yard rushing. Good yeah, and done. so and and Wimbush has the stronger arm. We've seen him drop some dimes, so it's a matter of you know this is a quarterback to where okay you're three games in and you're gonna go on your fourth game now. Says so you're gonna be your second, maybe third, you, depending on how you see the UGA game game on the road in a row. And <laughs> I'm never gonna let it go. I am never gonna fun. let that shit die. Um, but yeah, and, and at some point again, you're, you're like, okay, what you really need to put this together? Because if he does, if, if he, if he starts dropping and hit, basically hitting his wide open receivers, if we could get to that point to where he's hitting people in the chest, he's giving accurate throws. He's going to give so many people fits. Yeah. And, definitely. and you, and you hope, and, and we, we said it last year when things were just going all over the place that typically in the Brian Kelly era. When a quarterback is in his first year, he seems to rely on his gut instincts and his talents, and everything seems to work out all right. We're kind of Benjamin buttoning this one right now as far as a the BK bit. era is concerned. Now, Wimbush is doing – the thing that's different with Wimbush is he is such a threat on the ground, he's starting to make up from some of this other crap that he's not doing so well. So you're hoping as the season goes on, as he gains confidence, as he, he figures this thing out – that he is going to be the true triple threat that Notre Dame, you know, kind of expects to be out there. Exactly. All right. Well, I mean, uh, oh, whoa. I, I can't believe I almost went through without mentioning the defense. I mean, they were good as always, but man, Sean Crawford, have yourself a day, dude. Oh, boy. Two interceptions and a fumble recovery. Oh, boy. And that first interception he had, one was the easiest he will ever see in his career. The first one was highway robbery. Yeah, yeah. He just followed the he followed the receiver, turned around before him, and said, ah, "I'll take that one. Thank yeah, you." Mine. Hold on a second. Yeah. Before we get to the ground, I want to make sure I have full possession of this bar. The receiver basically looked surprised. Yeah, that the defender pulled that off. That was awesome. The receiver was essentially expecting, well, it's going to be a 50-50 ball, and we're gonna we're gonna share a possession to the ground, which always goes to the offense or whatever. Uh, 
Sean Crawford said, just give me a second here because this is called my shoulder and I'm going to use it to push you that way. <laughs> and then I'm just going to hold this one down. And then when he got up, it's funny because when Sean Crawford got up, you, there was a second where you could tell he wasn't sure he was getting credit because they both went down with hands on the ball. And then everyone was running towards him and he looked, he looked right, looked left and went, hey, and put his hands up. <laughs> it, <laughs> Stolen. It, it was a great play. And again, Elko... Uh, of all hires, you know, seems to be the best one uh, by far. Yeah, especially, I think a lot of it has to do with the. There was so much that needed to happen on the defense, and again, we're seeing pressure on the quarterback. We're we're seeing forced fumbles as well. Yeah, not all yep. of them are being recovered. And I even made the comments like, "This is the most forced fumbles that I've seen. I think in a decade. I mean, it's yeah. just it's what is this this season." So it's great. Obviously, the fundamentals are finally there. It sounds so stupid that we're, we're jumping for joy that they can tackle and strip the ball without, you know, screwing everything up. Now, now they're going to give up some. I think it's clear that this defense will give up the big play here and there, but they, yeah. they limit the damage. They don't give up the big touchdown all the time. They give their defense a chance, even if they give up a big play to get the get off the field again, which is right. huge to be able to right. do that. So yeah, I, I I'm very thrilled with the defense, and want to take a little little bit of time to at least uh, mention the special teams and the absurd whatever swinging gate steroid thing that was. What? <laughs> uh, when they kicked an extra point and and they set up some weird ass formation where oh they that's right had, like, they did all... the weird Oregon thing yes. <laughs> What the fuck was that? To where, I don't, whatever. I just started laughing, and of course, everybody starts flashing back to Ty. And then I'm on Twitter, it's like, let me tell you a story from my manager day. So I'll tell it again now that I don't have to split it up into 140 characters multiple times. So, so Polian, I don't know if this is a thing with him, but I, I've seen him do this kind of shit before. He had some random play, and, and let's be clear, I love the guy. I think he's a great special teams coach, but he just seems to he, he wants to try to do something. And I guess this time BK let him because I know why sure as hell didn't let him do anything like this. <laughs> so there's there's a kickoff return uh, drill about to happen, and the entire kickoff team runs at the ball like at the at the, basically the line of scrimmage for the kickoff runs back, resets, and kicks the ball off, and everybody on the sideline is going oh oh you know just giving the entire special team shit why. As the, I swear the kick didn't even land yet, and he is blowing the whistle. He's like Brian, you know. I'm not going to repeat the exact words he said because one, I don't <laughs> remember them. Two, it was more colorful than I even feel like saying on this podcast. But basically, he told uh, Polian to burn that out of the playbook and to never do it again. <laughs> so I've I've seen Polian do some weird shit before. Uh, so when he did that, I'm like, yes, he's back. He is back and he's unleashed. BK is not letting him. So I want to see what else crazy he's got. And to Notre Dame's credit, they didn't do anything stupid. And by they didn't do anything stupid, they didn't try to run whatever the hell that play was because yes. they saw they didn't yes. get the look. Two, they didn't try to rush the extra point either. They were like, eh, whatever. Let's go ahead and take the delay game. Yoon can yeah. make this. Yeah, Brian Kelly was obscenely like, ah, guys, no timeouts. It's fine. It's fine. Yes, they, that was... I mean, if you're going to do something dumb, and, and the other thing is that I'm happy about is we did it to Boston College. If, yeah. we, if we don't do that stupid shit to any other team, but we said, yeah, BC, you're, you're, you're you know, preseason enough to use this on. We almost yeah, hung 50 on you. Let, let's see if you fall for it. Yep. Oh, but yeah. yeah. I mean, and of course, the ESPN commentators, like, could not resist the opportunity to be like, I, I don't know what's going on here. I'm like, they're, they're taking the penalty. Oh, this is just terrible. 
<laughs> and, and everybody's like calm as hell on the Notre Dame sideline, and they still get the extra point. Mm-hmm. Like, but like basically, when you see something like that, you're hoping the other side is shitting their pants, and they either take a stupid timeout or they give you the exact look you're looking for. And all of a sudden, before they can figure out where they should be lined up properly, you have two points, and you just stole exactly. a point from them. I mean, exactly. it's, it's Oregon type shit. I love that. I love that. I love that being able to just hey, are you going to be dumb enough to give us a point? We'll take it. Sure, why not? Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, good good enough game. Obviously, a yeah. big game against Sparty. So so back to back wins on the road would be nice. And not only that, uh, Notre Dame actually going to go into a hostile environment. Let's not pretend BC was you know a, a major road game in at the least. Yeah, not yeah. just the competition, uh, but also the environment. And I joked about it, but I was also half serious. What Notre Dame saw in their own backyard with UGA was louder than anything they were going to face at Boston College. Um, exactly. I highly doubt it unless there's some, I mean, some weird shit's happened around Michigan State as well. They're kind of on their heels, too. So if the Irish happen to take that over, I will, one, die laughing, but two, I'm not expecting that to happen. So Yeah, I mean, Michigan State, they're, they're 2-0 and on the season. You know, you, you they've, they haven't really faced stiff competition, but... Um... You know, it is it is not that far. Maybe maybe Michigan fan, uh, maybe uh, Notre Dame fans can come through and uh, maybe maybe own that stadium for for a night. You know, they must if if anybody is equally as salty as you remain about the Georgia situation, <laughs> I'm sure they'll always give it a go. I, I, I've I've said many times I'm a petty person and I will fully admit it. But yeah, I mean that's going to be another test, back to back road games, and one mm-hmm. again another opponent that traditionally gives Notre Dame fits. Yep. So it's all about just just keep stringing this stuff together because all eyes are towards October right now. There's no doubt about it. Like I said, that big checkbox is is looming unmarked, and and that is to beat a ranked opponent, win a big game. You know, however you want to say it, and and we need to see that. But in the meantime, you can't drop a, a game that you yeah. should win. So it's we got to keep going. But right now, I, I'm at least liking what I see so far. I just would prefer. We, we don't repeat a first half like that ever again because that was just awful. It was ugly. Yeah. It was bad. And, and we just never need to do whatever led to that ever, ever again. Agreed. All right. Well, uh, with that all said, uh, it's it's about personal update time. So how was the rest of your weekend uh, beyond the football, Shane? Um, pretty good. Um, you know, it's, it's finally going to be normalcy again next week. Uh, so starting tomorrow, since we record tonight, Sunday, uh, everyone's back in the office. Um, pretty much everything's open again. There's still some debris or trees lying around, but they've all been chopped up by local work crews. Um, so they're all just pending pickup. Um, but yeah, so everything's pretty good. Um, I still know a couple people still without power, still without a cable, still without internet. Um, but I am fortunate enough to live in an area that I, I, I live essentially attached to a Publix Plaza. So if they get power, nice. I get it. Nice. So, that, hey, yeah. that, that is, that's smart. Hell yeah. On, Hell on yeah. multiple levels. Exactly. So. <laughs> Um, but everything's good other than that. Um, so it'll be just about grinding out another w- work week. So I'll be back in the fray with everybody else. Uh, like I worked from, from home all of last week. Um, so it'll be back to normalcy. That'll be interesting to see how everybody does. Got a lot to catch up on. Got a video to put together. So I'll finally be able to get back on that track. That's going to be fine. Yes. Um, I'm excited about that. Disappointing. We couldn't get the, the UGA one out. Apologies folks, but you know, mother nature's a bitch. <laughs> yeah, you know, just things didn't line up, um, and, and, and the scramble was just a little too chaotic. But the, things are good now, so I'll be able to get that up n- during the week. Um, and, and, and looking forward to seeing the next game, honestly. like I'm happy with this result, so you know, I'm at a point now where everything's all Gucci, man. How about you? How, what are your updates? Uh, it, it's going fairly well. Uh, I, 
well, the other thing I got to this weekend, I got to watch the Canelo Triple G boxing match, which was great, except when the judges got involved. Uh, so, folks, if you don't know what this is, uh, this is a boxing match. You know, every you know McGregor Mayweather got the the big buzz and the headlines. You know, just just cause it was it was a big spectacle. I wasn't interested in that at all from a sporting perspective. My dad's like, you're going to buy this right now. I have zero interest. In fact, I'm going to go to a concert with my wife. I, I really don't care to see this. Miss Sex and I are going to go see Lady Antebellum and spend our money there instead of, you know, dropping $100 in this fight. This one, though, didn't even think twice about dropping 80 bucks on this one. And it was a damn, it's the best boxing match I have ever seen in some time until the judges got involved. One judge scored it a draw. One yep. judge scored it in favor of Triple G, who I thought won the fight. You know, yeah, by one point, right? Yeah, by one point, which was shocking to me. Which, uh, but the first result that was read was that the first judge gave the fight to Canelo handedly. To which I'm like, "What the fuck fight were you watching?" Literally, yeah. only gave Triple G two rounds. Which I'm like, even if you thought Canelo won that fight, which I could actually see an argument for, because boxing is very weird and how it gets subjectively judged. So I could yeah. see somebody saying, no, here's how it happened. But like maybe a round or two, like again, that yeah. one point margin of error. So even Bruce Buffer, like I don't, I think he was like started reading result one, result two, because once he got to result three, it was like, uh, this fight's officially a draw. <laughs> like the most yeah. unbuffer like voice ever. And I scream out, what the fuck is this horseshit? Yeah, <laughs> this what a lot of crap. And my wife is laughing at me. Because <laughs> you paid for well, it. Well, <laughs> no, I, and the thing is, the fight was worth every penny. It's just, it's, it screwed the fighters over more than anything. Because here's the thing, that fight's going to happen again now, which is kind of the silver lining, even though it feels so slimy and almost WWE staged. I mean, yeah, because Canelo has the immediate rematch clause in it, his contract. Exactly. And, and since it's a draw and the titles didn't change hands, that's exactly what it felt like. Like, this is the kind of shit that wrestling did, especially back in the Carney days when, you know, I mean, they'll still do it now. But back when they wanted to make sure the title holder could travel around to all these different, you know, sites like, oh, well, they never even get to see it. it's not on TV. So you, you want the big name to hold on to the title, but you still want whoever's going against them, you know, to be the shit heel, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, to, mm -hmm. he still is going to keep the belt, you know, for some reason. And, and then you pick like a big time for the, the good guy to win it. Uh, but th that's what it felt like here it was like an excuse to make sure that it could happen again. Like Oscar De La Hoya and Golden Boy Promotions is sitting there, you know, slipping some money under the table to this one judge who apparently has a history of this shit, <laughs> which yeah, is the other shady. weird part. Oh, so yeah, I mean, that was still fun. I mean, it was a great fight. I enjoyed it. it it's not going to dampen my enjoyment of that fight. I just feel bad that neither one of them could get, you know, you know, the closure on it because right. boxing matches, they're not going to go again until next year at the earliest. Mm -hmm. And Triple G's getting up there in age, man. And this guy's a knockout artist. That's why I was excited to see him fight. Uh, and I'm wondering if age is starting to catch up with him. Because he, he looked like he was really scared that he was going to get knocked out by a counterpunch. But yeah, that was equally good, though, man. Yeah, it was it was a great fight. I enjoyed it, but yeah, that was that was some horseshit <laughs> that happened on Saturday. Nice. Uh, but yeah, beyond that, I'm going to be home for the rest of the time. I don't have to travel. I get to figure out. I'm I'm going to see the orthopedic specialist right before we record on Wednesday. So we'll okay. see we'll see how bad this bulging disc is, and I, I'm hoping I get some better uh, things to do pain management because right now the best way to kill the pain is like, oh, I'm drunk. This feels great. My neck feels fine now. That's not something I want to keep happening. And in fact, it's not something just so nobody freaks out. I'm not doing that every day. It was more of a, mm. 
a realization. I went to, I was at the airport coming back from El Paso, had one of the strongest margaritas I've ever had in my life. I'm like, huh, I feel good. And then, of course, <laughs> college football Saturday, obviously. Yep. Notre Dame fucking it up in the first half. It happens. So, yep. yeah, don't worry. I'm not self-medicating. I promise. I'm not going to do that. That's that's one, an expensive habit. Two, something that's going to get me fired and divorced. And I got a kid. Come on. <laughs> I'm better than that, folks. Don't worry. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's about what's going on. So, until next time, folks, thanks for sticking around. I have so much to cover. I love getting into the thick of it in college football. So, thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed what you hear, make sure you subscribe over on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play Music. Podbean, and of course, you can always find us at HolololSons.com. While you're over there, make sure to leave us a review. We'll help people find the show. Follow me at NDTex on Twitter, at SupermanTDJesus for Shane. As always, find us over at HolololSons.com. And until next time, have a good one, folks. Mm-hmm.